We are talking about uncommon community, and uh, I have the privilege of uh, introducing this message to y'all this morning. Um, and it's, it's kind of like, it's the community that Christ wants us to create. A lot of times, we end up getting into communities with people that are just like us. If you think back to like you're in high school and stuff, you, you, you would call it, what were they, clicks, right? Was that clicks or is that, I don't what do they call them nowadays? Is it, are they still clicks? Is it still clicks? Okay, that one hasn't changed yet. There's all new words nowadays that kids use. So I don't, I, I hear all kinds of stuff from Hayden. You know? I, I, apparently I got good drip today. I have no idea what that even means. But anyway, uh, it was a click. And people with like interests uh, tend to just naturally gravitate towards each other, whether it be the football team or just sports in general or, you know, cheerleaders or the math and debate and you know, chess clubs, you know, the, the, you know, and then you have people like me who kind of just like floated in between everybody because I played sports, but I was also a huge nerd. Um, so like I was on both sides and I had friends, friends everywhere. Um, and what that ends up doing actually, and you'll, you'll remember this when, if you were going through high school, what that ends up doing is making people feel discluded without ever actually discluding them. Right? That's what it does. Because you're just like, well, I'm not like those people. I can't go there. I can't, I can't, I can't do that. And that's, that's not what Christ wanted to create. The type of community that Christ created and what he, his vision for the church was and what we as the church, I believe it's our responsibility to do, is to create an atmosphere of acceptance for everyone. Where when you walk in, you don't feel like you don't fit. And, and I, I don't know about y'all, but I've walked into a church before and felt that way. Walked in and just been like, ooh. And, and it, it just, it, it might not have anything to do with anything specific, but I've walked into churches before and been like, I don't know if I really fit in here. Um, we all should feel like we fit in in God's house because every single one of us has a place set at the table. Amen? Amen. All right, so we're going to go into this. We are going to be in Matthew 9 this morning. If you didn't bring your Bible, uh, you can scan the sermon notes right there, and that'll have the Bible verses and stuff for you. Plus, you'll be able to have a little sneak peek of like what I'm going to say. Uh, if you want to like look ahead, if that's what you want to do, it's totally fine. So you can scan that QR code. Um, and if you don't have a Bible and you're new with us this morning, please stop out by our New Here area, um, right out by the big Connect Us sign, and we would love to give you a Bible this morning. So we're going to be in Matthew 9. And uh, listen, we got, a, we got a couple of verses we're going to go through. All right, We're going to be in verses 9 through 13 and then also 18 through 38. So I got a lot of scripture to go through. Um, but I'm going to stop every now and then. And we're going to talk about it. And we're just going to go through this scripture and try to, try to learn what Christ is trying to tell us. And then I'm going to, I'm going to share with you guys what God just reached out and bonked me on the head with this week. All right, So Matthew 9. Verse 9, okay? As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. First of all, I'm going to stop right there, all right? Just, and it's just a real quick observation. Matthew's awesome. <laughs> like, Matthew's awesome. I, I, I don't know about you guys, but as somebody walks by, I mean, even it's Kevin, I love Kevin to death, but he's just like, follow me. I'm like, what, for what? Why? Where? How long? Like, there's a lot of questions that you can ask right there, rather than just, I get up and follow. And just a real quick little trivia thing for you guys. 
when a rabbi in uh, Jewish times back in the day said to follow me, what those words meant in the Jewish context were to walk so closely to me that the dust from my sandals comes up on you. So that's what it meant. It meant to follow in every single step that he took. They knew a rabbi, when a rabbi said that, that it meant leaving things and leaving family and following him, going wherever the rabbi wanted to go. So like Matthew had an understanding. It wasn't like he didn't know. He knew, and he just got up and followed. Awesome, awesome. So we're just, that has nothing to do with uncommon community, but I read it and I'm like, I have to say something. Matthew, you are an inspiration for all of us. All right, let's keep going. <clears throat> Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, what does your teacher eat with such, I'm sorry, why does your teacher eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. Then he added, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Now, I got something real quick to talk about here because we're going to talk about it because we're all in church, okay? Church is a building full of sinners. Don't get it twisted at all. Kevin talked about it a little bit last week. Don't get it twisted. It is a prerequisite to be a Christian to understand I am a sinner and apart from Christ, I am not worthy. It is a 100% prerequisite. Every single person in here is a sinner. The Pharisees were sinners, but, but yet they, I don't, I don't understand, they, they saw themselves as on the outside looking in to the sinners, or actually maybe on the inside looking out, like, whoa, what's happening over there? That was the good place to be was where the Pharisees were at, with tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. It's very, very important that it, it was labeled this way. One, Matthew was a tax collector. And right before this, Jesus is in the, he's doing the, um, uh, he, whoops, what happened? He was a paralyzed man, sorry. And when he heals a paralyzed man, he tells him that his sins are forgiven. And it immediately begs the question, because it's like, who is this guy that can forgive sins? Well, what sins can he forgive? What sins can't he forgive? Who's worthy of being forgiven? How does one get forgiven? All of this type of stuff. And then immediately, right away, it flips over. And in Matthew's gospel, Matthew's like, here's who he can save. Tax collectors. Now, tax collectors were a specific group of people that we see in, in, uh, in our Bible. And a lot of times you'll see this exact phrase, tax collectors and sinners, tax collectors and sinners. They were like the worst of the worst in Jewish society. They were absolutely despised by other Jews. They were seen as, as traitors and completely outcast. It didn't matter that they were Jews. It didn't matter that they believed in God. They weren't allowed in the temple. They weren't allowed to bring sacrifices. The picture that I put up there, you see that like the tax collectors taking the money from the Jews and you got like the Roman soldiers there with like spears. They weren't there to protect the money. They were there to protect the tax collector. Seriously, like they were, they were fearful for their own lives from the Jewish people. They were so, so, so despised. And I have to say, for the Jewish people, 
kind of rightly so in a little bit of a sense. Like what the Romans would do is they would come in and when they occupied, you know, Jerusalem and, and Israel and, and, you know, the Jewish lands, they came in. The, the Romans did this on purpose to pit the, the people against each other. They would, they, they had plenty of people that knew how to count money in Rome right? Like plenty of people. And they could have set up a Roman official that made them pay the taxes to Rome, but they would actually set up somebody from the culture because they knew the people. So they knew, they knew that, that Jared had more than the 12 goats he was being taxed for. He had 27 goats because they grew up with Jared and they knew Jared or, or the same with me. They knew, they knew that Dustin was, you know, whatever. So like you couldn't get away with your taxes. And then even further, they would tax people for all kinds of ridiculous things. And the Roman soldiers standing back behind didn't care because it's just more money for Rome. So where, um, where we're at right now uh, is, is Capernaum. And, and Capernaum, just, just to give you, I'll give you a map here, okay, is, is on a place called the Via Maris, okay? And the Via Maris was the imperial road, it was called at one point. It was called the King's Highway. Via Maris literally means way of the sea. If you look at it and you can follow the track, it literally goes from Egypt to Damascus, all the way up through. Up to the top, it says to Damascus, at the bottom, to Egypt. Right barely above the Sea of Galilee, you got Capernaum. All right, and that's, that's what we're talking about, is right along the sea. And it, Capernaum was an area where that got a lot of traffic because of this. This was a major, major trade route. And because they were using the Via Maris, the tax collectors would tax every single person that came through. Every single person would get a tax for just walking through the city. And then, well, you've got two axles on your cart, so you get an extra tax even though you got less goods. And because you've got one axle, but a lot of goods, you get an extra tax as well. And because you happen to be from Egypt and not from Damascus, you get a different tax than people from Egypt. They just made it up on the spot. They, they did. They just made it up on the spot. There's all kinds of records and stuff of this that the tax collectors would do. They would just completely make it up on the spot. And what they were doing is exploiting their own people for the gain of Rome and the gain of themselves. That's what they were doing, because then they would skim right off the top. Everything that was extra and all this, all this extra stuff that they got, they would skim right off of the top. So they were like, not, not well-liked at all. And I just, I just want to back up a little bit, though, because I want to talk a little bit about, like, we see this, and there's a couple of things that I noticed while I'm walking through this. So, one, tax collectors are the worst of the worst. 100%. Like, I don't even want to name somebody in our society that I would consider a tax collector because of the way that they were viewed. Like, I don't want to call anybody like you, that you, that's who they would consider a tax collector. But like, think of the worst possible person you can think of. That's a tax collector. And that's, that's who Jesus calls. And he gets up and he follows him. And then he doesn't just do that. He goes to his house. He has dinner with other tax collectors, more than just Matthew and other disreputable sinners. No idea what that means. No idea exactly who it was. But you can use your imagination, basically. For some reason, it was somebody who wasn't in the in crowd. Does anybody know what the word Pharisee means? Separated ones. That's what it means. That's exactly what the word, like if you actually look at it, that is exactly what Pharisee means. And they did it intentionally. Because these people were seen as unclean. These people were seen as sinners. These people's sin would rub off on them and make them dirty. 
They weren't allowed in the temple. They weren't allowed near them. They weren't allowed to touch them. They weren't allowed to speak to them. They kept themselves completely separated because that was their view of what righteousness looked like. Maintaining purity and cleanliness according to the Jewish law. So they separated themselves from every single thing that they possibly saw as unclean. So when they saw a rabbi come through and saw them, they're looking at them like, this doesn't happen. Rabbis don't sit down with people like this. Rabbis don't even speak to people like this. But Jesus did. Jesus did. And I think it's interesting that when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples. They didn't ask Jesus. Jesus is right there. How many, oh man, it just, again, I'm just pointing out stuff I saw in the scripture this week. How many times do you feel like the devil goes around you to attack you? Oh man, oh, like so many times, like you'll hear something like, oh, somebody said this about you or didn't talk to you about this or went and talked to somebody else or, or whatever. They did it right there. They asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? Oh man, the words, like it's just, you could, you could feel the vileness in their words, the poison like dripping from their mouth, from the way that they saw other people. And listen, other people, every single person in this room, every single person in this county, state, country, world, has the same amount of innate dignity and worth given to them by God. None of them are scum. None of them are. And Jesus' response is great. Because he's like, well, all you clean people hang out, all you healthy people, that's what he's, he's referring them to, you all hang out together, you're doing nothing. Sick people are the ones that need a doctor. I'm going, I'm here to heal the sick, right? I'm here to save the lost. He came to seek and to save that which was lost, not to come and pick up what was already found, right? That's not what he came to do. And it's, it's just so good. He, he pulls them to Hosea 6.6. 6. That's the scripture that you see here that he's talking about. I want to show you mercy, not offer sacrifices, for I've come not to call those who think they're righteous, but those who know they are sinners. And in other versions will say, and desire repentance. It's just, it's, it's just amazing. It's just amazing when I, when I look through this and I see it, the biggest takeaway that I get is that Jesus didn't care about people's circumstances. It didn't matter. And, and all of us can, can sit here and say the same thing. It, our past doesn't matter. You become a new creation in Christ. And Jesus had this way about him. And you see it all through the scriptures. And it's, 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 it's baffling to me. Because nowadays, if you're a Christian and you start spouting some stuff off, you're, like, you're, you're a bigot or you're you know, you're, you're, you're a right-wing extremist, or you're a, I mean, there's just names after names after names, you know what I mean, all the way down to a racist, and, like, people are repelled by the fact that we're Christians sometimes, and I think sometimes that's because we hold ourselves like we're this different community than everybody else, but Jesus wasn't like that. Jesus drew people to him. Sinners were drawn to him, like, they knew they needed and missed something and that he had it. What would this world look like if people knew they needed something and knew that we knew where to point to? Knew that, like, oh, well, that's who I got to go to. He can point me to the right guy. The guy that can take care of everything. It's just amazing. He cared about their character. 
I mean, that's really what it is. We see this so many, so many, so many, so many times in Scripture with Jesus that he didn't see the outward whatever was going on. He saw all the attitudes of their heart. He saw, he saw their, that's what I call character. He saw their character. He saw what they were really, really about. Like really, really about. I'm going to continue with you guys, and, and we're going to, we're going to get a, a central theme coming on here, okay? We're going to skip down to verse 18. It's not that the discussion about fasting isn't important and isn't great, but it doesn't specifically relate to what I'm talking about here. So I'm going to skip down. So as Jesus was saying this, okay, the leader of a synagogue came. I'm going to stop right there real fast because like six <laughs> different versions say that a ruler came and knelt before Jesus, and like the other six say the leader of a synagogue. So one of the uh, somebody of high esteem came to Jesus as he was talking, okay? He says, my daughter has just died, he said, but you can bring her back to life again if you just come and lay your hand on her. What faith? First, again, like just, I'm going to give you some stuff that I just see. You want to look at somebody who has just faith without question at all. He came right to the guy who could actually fix his problems. He had faith. So Jesus and his disciples got up and went with him. Just then, a woman who had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding came up behind him. She touched the fringe of his robe, for she thought, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. Jesus turned around, and when he saw her, he said, Daughter, be encouraged. Your faith has made you well. And the woman was healed at that moment. When Jesus arrived at the official's home, he saw the noisy crowd and heard the funeral music. Get out, he told them. The girl isn't dead. She's only asleep. But the crowd laughed at him. After the crowd was put outside, however, Jesus went in and took the girl by the hand, and she stood up. The report of this miracle swept through the entire countryside. All right, I'm going to back it up to where we were here at the beginning and go to verse 19 here. So we talked about how he's eating, sharing a meal with sinners and with tax collectors. Um, another just quick reference, just so you guys understand the Jewish culture. If you sat down for a meal with somebody in, a, in the Jewish culture, that meant you were close friends with that person. You didn't just sit down and have a meal with just anybody because people would see you. You got to remember, there was no social media. There was no Facebook or Instagram or Snapchat and be like, oh man, he's over there hanging out with that guy. I can see it on his Facebook. No, you literally saw him over there hanging out with that person with your eyes. So they were very careful with who they hung out with and who they didn't hang out with. Jesus didn't care. He hung out with them anyway. Dax collectors, sinners, come on in. Sit on down. We're going to have a meal. We're going to hang out. I would, you look through scripture and there's so many times when I'm like, man, what they talk about? Was it a party? Like, what did Jesus say at that time? I don't know. It's not there. Like, oh man, I just wish it was there. I'm sure they didn't just sit in silence the entire time. I'm sure they talked. Um, but this part here, we've got two stories kind of wrapped up in one. And I'm going to focus on something that maybe somebody hasn't focused with on you guys before. The woman here we got in verse 19 suffered for 12 years of constant bleeding. Okay, again, in the Jewish community, Pharisees would not even talk to this woman. The religious community of the day, the church, if you will, the temple, the people from the temple would not have even talked to this woman. She is unclean. She's unclean. She can't touch us. If she touched the hem of their robes, they would burn their robes because it is unclean. Right? So, and again, 
Jesus didn't care. <laughs> he, didn't, he, didn't, he didn't mention it. He didn't talk about it. He just said, be encouraged. Your faith has made you well. Okay. The official's home. He gets there. And he saw the noisy crowd. And he told him to get out. And the girl, that the girl's not dead. Okay. She's only asleep. Somebody who is perceived as dead or is dead, right? Either perceived as dead or is dead is unclean. You don't walk up and touch a body. That's just, you know what I mean? It was considered unclean to do that. Jesus didn't care. Took the girl by the hand. And she stood up. And the report of this miracle swept through the entire countryside. Jesus wasn't concerned with people's circumstances. Like, I can't pound that in enough. And there's so many times that we, church, are concerned with people's circumstances. We look at people differently who are going through different trials in their life. You avert your eyes to a homeless person, do you not? I have. It's not, it's, I'm, not, I'm not chastising you. It's, it's like a natural response and reaction to see that. You're like, oh, don't, don't make eye contact. Why? Why do we do that? Or somebody that, that, we can even just use the church context because I've seen it happen, not here at Connect Us, but I've seen it happen in churches. And I've heard of stories. They've written songs about it where people have come in and felt so unwelcome and so judged by the people in a church. Right? Uh, Casting Crowns, does anybody hear her? It's the first one I can think of. Right? Totally judged. Because they knew about her past and they knew, you know, she was like a scarlet letter type woman. That's what that song's about. And she could feel their judgmental stares. And so she left the one place, the one place where every single one of us has received grace we did not deserve, but yet we don't pass it on to other people. Every single one of us, because I, let's go back to where I started. We're all sinners and we all keep sinning. Every day, we fail. Douglas MacArthur said something that I thought was absolutely awesome because here's the other part, right? We're just going to talk about it. We're just going to talk about it. That's what we're going to do today. We're going to talk about stuff. Douglas MacArthur about it because somebody came up to him and went, you know what? I can't go to church. It's full of hypocrites. And he goes, well, we got room for one more. That's what he said. It's good, isn't it? Because every single one of us is a hypocrite at one point or another. Every single one of us. I failed this week. I failed today already. I failed yesterday. I'm going to fail tomorrow. So will each and every one of you. We know that. And we have the grace. It's been given to us. We know the penalty for our sins, and yet we don't pass that grace on to others. In the smallest sense, we have been forgiven much, but yet we do not give grace for a little. Even as little as somebody who looks different than us, talks different than us, goes through something that's different in our life than us, is poorer than us, doesn't dress as nice as us, maybe can't afford to shower as often as us. And we just, that's what we do. That's what we do. But yet, but yet we're real quick to leave the church because somebody sinned against us. Right? Can't go there. That person said that thing against me. Can't be there. Wait. We're all sinners, right? We talked about that. So why are you surprised the sinner sinned? 
Why are we surprised when things happen in church that we're not happy about? That somebody said something we didn't like, or said something to us, or treated us a certain way. Why are we surprised that that happened? We're all sinners. We're going to sin against each other, right? It's going to happen. That's why Matthew 18 exists. You keep going in this. Where it talks about going to your brother and talking to him about that. But we want grace given to us. Right? We want it given to us. We want them to come and, and apologize. But yet when we judge somebody else, we don't go apologize to them. Somebody who comes into a church and is searching. I had somebody ask me one time, I'm not going to go into what they were dealing with and stuff, but they were like, would I, would I be welcome in your church? Here. I'm talking about here, right here. And I went, what? <laughs> yeah, of course. I don't care what you're going through in life. You could think of the worst possible thing you could possibly imagine. You are welcome here. It doesn't matter what it is. You're welcome here because you're a searching soul. That's why you're welcome here. And every single one of us was a searching soul at one point. We have to be very, very careful not to create the common community that the Pharisees created, where we all look the same and we all act the same and every one of us sees ourselves as righteous. See, I'm talking about the first part of the series, and you're like, okay, well, what about this uncommon or common? I am giving you the dangers of creating a community where every single person looks and acts and talks and is in the exact same place in life because that's what the Pharisees were. And they disregarded everybody else. Listen, these are the people that churches, big churches, want to know how they can reach. Big churches. How do we reach the lost? People, they, they send teams halfway across the world to reach the lost. They're in your city. You passed by them and didn't look them in the face because they were dirty and on the side of the road and you thought they were going to use the money for drugs. They're right there. Or they show up in the back of the church and you're like, oh, I don't know if I want to go talk to that person. I'm just going to walk by because, you know, they don't look like me. They're not charismatic. Of course they're not. They're scared to be in church because they think everybody's going to judge them. I mean, come on. How many times have we heard that the church is full of judgmental, hypocritical people? It is. Because we're all sinners and we all sin. But the first step to stopping doing it is realizing what you're doing and stopping doing it. And doing something differently. Doing something differently. Jesus didn't care at all. And it was awesome. And it's amazing. Verse 32. We're going to continue on here. When they left, a demon-possessed man who couldn't speak was brought to Jesus. So Jesus cast out the demon, and the man began to speak. The crowds were amazed. Nothing like this has ever happened in Israel, they exclaimed. But the Pharisees said, he can cast out demons because he is empowered, excuse me, by demons, by the prince of demons. I, I put this in there. I didn't know if I was going to throw it in, but I decided to throw it in there because demon possession in the Old Testament or in, in, in the Bible is pretty well seen, right? You can see it. it, it oh, this person was demon possessed. This person was demon possessed. There's a lot of biblical theological scholars out there that would say maybe this person had, you know, some sort of mental disease like schizophrenia or something like that because they just label you as demon possessed if they didn't understand what you were talking about. Right? Like that's, that's what they would do back then. So maybe the person was demon possessed or maybe they weren't. But how many times have we seen somebody who has 
a physical ailment or illness about them. And we just, I don't know, it's something about us to turn away from them. Like we will literally look the other way. Like, oh, it's rude to stare. I don't, so maybe that's it. Maybe we don't want to be like seen as staring or anything like that. Stare at them and go up and talk to them. And welcome them. And love them. And show them grace and mercy and kindness and forgiveness. The things that they are desperately seeking in their life. Like that's what we are called to do. Be ambassadors of Christ. And to do these things. And again, I was looking at and, and just... Nobody, from what we can see in Scripture, nobody even asked Jesus a question. They just brought him to him and Jesus, just get out. <laughs> Done. Doesn't even say what he said. I just, in my mind, they brought him before him and just get out. And just kept walking. Because that's who my God is. And he said, I don't have time for you demons. Get out of the man. And just kept on walking. But the important thing is he saw him. He saw him. And he cared enough for him to meet the needs that were going on in his life. And the problems that he had. I got a couple of a uh, couple of things that I want to show you guys here today. I found these online, and man, some of them are funny because we have a view of what church is. So does the world, by the way. The world also has a view of what church looks like, and it's kind of like this, you know. Like, first of all, I thought it was funny because what is the chicken doing? Like these are all these are all directory photos from churches, by the way. Okay, remember church directories? Nobody does them anymore. But that's what these are from. So somebody brought a chicken into the church, right, and made sure that that chicken was in the picture. And man, they're real proud that kid can play the accordion. I guess I don't know. Like, why is it there? This is weird. This is weird. How about this? All in blue jean. Let's go. We're all. But listen, look, we're all looking perfect. We're all looking right. Anybody that sees us or sees this picture thinks we're the happiest, nicest little family, even though probably on this day, you were screaming at each other in the car on the way to church. But nobody can see that. We're all in white. No, it's just kind of like, it's sickening, isn't it? When you think of it. Like, I just look at it, I'm like, that's just, I just can't. I don't know these people, by the way. So, and I'm not saying that they are. It's just, it just, it's like, wow, we used to do this. Like how much, how much, and I'm not saying like not everybody, you know what I mean, but I, I mean, I remember taking pictures and making sure everybody was in matching outfits growing up, like why? And why'd we all have to look our Sunday best for them? And it was like this, it's like this like little persona. How about just like, hey, we showed up and we're all in different stuff because that's the way it is every Sunday. We don't match our clothes every week because we're not a weird family. And we just took a picture. Because we put out this view to the world. Are we surprised that people who don't look like this don't feel welcome? <laughs> this is more real. I was looking at this. The mom is trying to hold it together, right? So I almost wanted to draw like chat bubbles, right? Like the mom, she's got a chat bubble there and she's just saying, don't choke the baby during the picture. Don't choke the baby during the because the baby is screaming. And the baby is just like, this is dumb. The dad is oblivious, right? It's just totally oblivious. And that girl's got a demon. I know right now. Because I mean she's angry. I don't know. She ain't happy about this. That's all I got to say. Right? But this is more real, is it not? Because this is more like what happens every Sunday. Because like the kids aren't always well behaved and you know. 
Mom, Dad doesn't always know what's going on, and Mom's ready to pull her hair out sometimes. I'd rather be with these people than these people, or these people. I don't fit in there at all. And I don't want to wear jeans <laughs> on my shirt. <laughs> they, they belong down here, right? It's just, I don't, I don't want to do that. All right, so these are all views of church. I'm going to show you some more views of church, okay? Oh, I forgot one. This is just the perfect picture for somebody who wants to make sure, because you know on the Christmas card, or on the, on the directory photo, it's only from here up. Uh-huh. Why can't you just be you? I don't know. Right, here's the church. BJMP. Inmate. Detainee. That's what it says on the back of their shirts. That's a church prison. Now, I feel like I'd fit in there. I don't feel like I would. Did you, did you feel like you'd be welcome there? I think I would be. For some reason, I don't know. I just look at it and I go, I don't think there's a person in there that would judge me because they've all know they've gone through some stuff. But for some reason, we don't think that when we look at churches and when we see it from the outside, we're like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I'd fit there. Yeah, if they knew what I did, they're all... They're Christians. I can't, I can't hang out with actual Christians. This is a church in Afghanistan. Makes you pretty thankful for what you got, doesn't it? It is punishable by death over there to be a Christian and to be found doing this. But you know what? Bet you they accept everybody. And bet you nobody shows up and feels unwanted there. This is a church in underground China. And I don't know. I start getting emotional when I'm looking at these pictures and stuff, and I'm looking at them like, man! I don't have to kneel on bricks. also illegal over there to be a Christian and to hold services I don't think anybody's turned away there though I don't think anybody feels like they don't belong there because in these last couple ones that I've shown you I think that the only requirement is to be searching for God that's it <laughs> and to not turn them into the federal police or whatever, you know what I mean, the authorities. Because each one of these that I just showed you, it's illegal. And it's dangerous, like actually dangerous to be a Christian, to have the faith that we have. We live in the freest country on earth, and yet people don't feel free to come join our churches. It makes you just like swallow, or at least it does me. I don't know, it just does. I came across this. It's a worship service in a prison. And I mean, it broke me to tears. I'm going to find out who that is and get him to come up here one day. Because, man. Mm. 
I love this part. Love it. Just got. Mm. I don't think that uh, anybody cares there that the person next to them is white or black or what they're in there for or what they did or. There's, there's like a community there, right? Like there's a community, and I don't. Mm. One good thing TikTok ever did. God Behind Bars. I recommend you watch the whole thing. It's like a 30, 45 minute. They do like a bunch of songs, different stuff. It's powerful. It's powerful to watch that. And I, I don't know. I just, I, I watch it and, and I look at it and I go, whoa. Yeah, okay, the worship's powerful. Amen. The Spirit of God moves everywhere, even in places like that, in prison. Like, God is moving. God is doing stuff. Like, our God is a God, a living God who is working in people's lives. Amen. But I also just look at that, and I'm just like, I think I'd rather be there some Sundays. I don't know how else to say it. Like, I just, I feel like I get along there. And I mean, I'd have a good time. Like a good, I don't want to spend any more time than that there. I just want to be there for the worship service. I just want to be there for that and the preaching. That's it. And then I want to leave. Like, I don't want to be there any more than that. All right, I'm not going to, I'm not going to do anything illegal, Kevin. Um, <laughs> please don't fire me. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I just watch it. I'm like, man, that's a place I want to be. Like, I want to be there. I'm going to wrap up the last couple of stuff here, okay? And this is really going to pound home my message. And this is where God popped me on the head this week. Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, the harvest is great. Excuse me, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. Yeah, there's an amen there, but I don't know. I'm going to pop you on the head here because I was like reading this and I was like, has anybody ever heard a verse and it's taken out of context? So I have heard like the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. So like, let's go do missions and like, Let's go do like other stuff. And that's, that's, that's why we need people serving. And like, I've, I've just heard it used in so many different contexts of like the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. And I think it's interesting because in the beginning, we saw Jesus hanging out with tax collectors and sinners, lowest of the low, and the Pharisees had something to say about it. And then we see him like right after, right after that, they had, they had problems with... Um, they had problems with him, with the demon possession. And then we saw, we saw problems that later on, and you know, they called him scum and like all this. And, and Jesus really, really, really didn't care. <laughs> and not only did he not care, okay? 
He actively did the opposite of what the entire religious community was doing during that day. Okay, so he traveled through all the towns and villages of that area. I can go back to the map if you want. There's a bunch of them. He taught in all the synagogues. He announced the good news about the kingdom, about himself. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. But he saw the crowds, the people, okay? The people that followed Jesus were the tax collectors, were the sinners, were the, the unclean, the not wanted, the destitute, the disenfranchised of society. They were your drug addicts and your rapists and your murderers and your, they were all of the, everything you could possibly, that's who was following, that's who was drawn to Jesus. And he saw them and he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd because the shepherds that they had turned away from them. They were more focused with what was happening with their inner circle. The Pharisees were the shepherds of the day. They were the ones who were supposed to be loving for and caring for all the people. It's not... It's, I read it and I saw it and like I was, it just like hurt me. Like I, I called Kevin. I was like, Kevin, can I, can I do this? Like God just smacked me on the head with something because I never saw this. He went around actively seeking out those that nobody else wanted and healing them and loving for them, and caring for them. Because the religious community of the day didn't. His fields are those fields. They're, they're, the, they're the ones where the people are searching and they're lost. And man, we're lucky enough for them to come in the doors sometimes. And the last thing we want to do is make them feel like they're unwelcome here. Because that's the ones... Those are the ones that we care about going after. I love each and every single one of you. But if you're a Christian, I'm not as happy that you're here as I am the person that's searching. Like, that's who I'm happy that's here. If it's your first Sunday and you don't know Jesus, come talk to me. Please, I want to talk to you. I want to introduce you to the God that loves each and every single one of you, no matter what circumstances are in your life. 100%. Like, I want to, I want to talk to you with, about that. But my, my God went completely and utterly against the culture of the day. It doesn't tell us how many towns and villages. It doesn't tell us how many people he healed of disease or how many people he healed of illness. But there were multitudes of people following Jesus at this point. Multitudes of people. To the point that when he would heal people that we see in Scripture, he would tell them, don't tell anybody else. There were so many people that were just drawn to him, like moths to the flame. Just drawn to him from everywhere. Those are the ones he came for. He did not come for the ones who think themselves righteous. He came for the ones that know they're sinners and know they need a Savior. And that's every single one of us here today. We are all the ones that he came for. He came for the sinners, and we are all sinners. We are no different than anybody else that walks in these doors. And we ought to just love the love of Christ. I've said it before. I want people to smell Jesus on me when they walk past. I don't know what that means, but I'm saying I don't even want to have to interact with them, but they walk past me and they know something. That's it. That's what I mean by that. Now I pray that 
And I pray all the time that that is what our church becomes. They don't even have to walk in the doors. They just sit here in a movie theater and see an ad and go, whoa, what's going on there? Because I will say one thing. We're a pretty diverse church, and I love it. And I love it. It's awesome. It's great. I love it so much. And I want more diversity. I want more people. I want people to feel included and welcomed and loved and cared for. Because that's, that, I believe, is the type of community, that, the uncommon community that Christ actually came to create. Is the community where every single person is welcomed. If I can have the worship team come back up this morning, I'm just, I'm just going to pray for us. And, man, I'm just going to pray for each and every single one of us. Um, because we've all got a part to play in this. All right? The church isn't Kevin, and the church isn't Kevin and me, and the church isn't Kevin and me and the elders or the oversight team or, or like anything. Yeah. The church is the people. Like, y'all are the church. You are the church. And, and when we think about the church nowadays, and when you hear me say, like, that's what the church is supposed to be, I'm talking about big C global church. That's what it's supposed to be everywhere. That's what it's supposed to be all the time. Because when you go out into, into the world, you're ambassadors for Christ. And people are going to look at each and every one of you and go, I want what he has. I want what he has. I want what he has. I want what she has. I know she's got something. I'm pointing. I know you do. You're smiling, and I know you do. You do. You got something. And I want people to see that and know that about each and every one of us. And when they come, I want them to go, this is where they found it. This is what I was looking for. This is what I didn't have this whole time. That, I mean, that's, that's our mission on this earth, is to be those ambassadors. So, Lord, I pray that you would just make us ambassadors for you lord just just people who have a a deep thriving love for you and for your church and for your people for all of the people of the world lord it doesn't it doesn't matter where we come from it doesn't matter what we've what we've been through or or where we're going or or any of that type of stuff it doesn't jesus didn't care about our circumstances it doesn't matter how broken we are. It's the same amount of fix that the person who doesn't think they're broken needs. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. It's either way. The world might say, this person's got it all together and this person doesn't. But guess what? In the eyes of Christ, it's the same amount of grace needed. We are all on the same page here, Lord. I pray that you would just give, give us here at Connect Us Church, Lord. Give us a love for the disenfranchised desire for those that need you. Sometimes I feel like we get into this complacency, Lord, and I do the same thing where, all right, I'm going to church on Sunday, and then, all right, I'm going home, and, you know, I'm going back about my week again, and I'll go back to church again next Sunday, and, like, I don't realize I am, I am the church. Everywhere I go, everybody I talk to, I need to carry that with me, Lord. We all need to carry that with us, and just, just be shining lights in the darkness light light that shines so bright it can't it can't be snuffed out by the darkness of this world and we know that that light is your light 
Make us worthy carriers of it. I mean, that's the best way I can put it, Lord. Make me a worthy carrier of the grace that you've given me. I've heard people describe it as an I can't help but attitude. I can't help but tell people about Jesus. I can't help but help people. I can't help but love people because of what has been done for me. I pray that you would just make each and every one of us worthy carriers, worthy representatives of the grace that you've given each and every one of us that we never, ever deserved. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.